Tim Bontemps, ESPN, talking about the Jazz ahead of the trade deadline. This is Round Ball Round on utahjazz.com. I'm J.P. Chunga on the Utah Jazz Podcast Network, presented by First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz, and MLS number 3112, equal housing lender. Wasting no time, because he was awesome. Tim Bontemps, he's very plugged into the league, loves this stuff, and is on top of everything, so... Please enjoy him. He's on the Hoop Collective. Support that podcast because it's a bunch of dudes who love basketball and are watching this league tirelessly. So it is the last remaining member of the Hoop Collective that hasn't been on this podcast yet. It is Tim Bontemps on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. Tibbs can annoy the hell out of guys, can wear guys out. He is the perfect lay zone, and I think I'm pronouncing that word correctly, the perfect lay zone in the locker room between... Funniest part about that specific clip, which from the Wednesday episode of our pod, Tim McMahon, my very good friend, uh, thought he, he was very proud of himself for coming up with the word liaison, which he probably he properly used in context. The problem was he didn't know how to say it, so he mispronounced it. And I mean, it's it's one of many reasons why I have a lot of fun doing that pod twice a week with my pals because these do a lot of laughs. I got a good laugh out of that one. He's always entertaining, and when he's mispronouncing words, it's even better. <laughs> Can't argue with that. The way that the team has played the Jazz, speaking of, mm-hmm. as of late, how in your dealings with Danny Ainge back when he was with Boston and you were around that team, how does this type of spell, the way that the Jazz are playing now, impact the way that they approach the trade deadline coming up on Thursday? Honestly, I don't think it impacts it at all. And, and I think, uh, you know, the thing about Danny, that's always been the case is that he has been a very cold and emotionless guy when it comes to making decisions like these. Um, you know, this is a guy who for 10, 15, 20 years told everyone who would listen that he told Red Auerbach he should have traded Larry Bird, Robert Parrish, and Kevin McHale at the end of the Celtics run and not had them all retire with Boston and lead the team in a bit of a precarious position afterward, right? And so what does he do? He trades Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett for a trillion assets uh, 11 years ago now, which turned into drafting Jason Tatum, which turns into drafting Jalen Brown, which turns into you know, the Boston Celtics being one of the best teams in the league for the last, you know, 10 years and probably for another several because those guys are young and in their prime and going to be really good for a long time, right? That all came from Danny Ainge making the cold, calculated, emotionless decision to move on from Paul Pierce, one of the best players to ever play for the Celtics, and Kevin Garnett, a guy who was the, the guy that brought them the 17th championship banner to TD Garden, right? So if Danny Ainge can make that kind of move, 
he can move anybody on this current Jazz team. Now, that's not to say that Jazz are going to trade Byron Marketing. I don't think they're going to. It's not that they're going to blow this team up. I don't think they are. But the Jazz, as Will Hardy said when he was here, I think for the Knicks game on Tuesday, um, was that one of the games? I'm pretty sure it's at the Knicks game. This is a team that is trying to lay the foundation for being a championship-level team. And that is not that has not changed whether the Jazz had you know, struggled to start the year or won a whole bunch of games like they did in the month of December or like they after they've struggled over the past week or so, right? They, they're still not at that point. They're still building to that point. And if there's veteran players on this team that they could turn into assets to help them in the long term or they have players they could turn into guys that they think can be more likely to be part of that long-term core with this team, then they're going to look at doing that because that is the way that Danny Ainge has always operated and that he's looking at the long-term and reacting based off of what he thinks is in the best long-term interest of the team. And I, I don't think anything that's happened, frankly, since he got there um, would deviate from that script. And I don't think that's been the case for what's happened in the last week or the last month or the last year going into the trade deadline for the Jazz. What has been your read on Will Hardy? He was a guest on the Hoop Collective in the offseason. He's someone who you caught up with this week. What have you gathered from his second year in charge of the team? I think Will's a rock star. Uh, I think he's one of the best young coaches. He's certainly one of the best young coaches in the league. I think he's already proven to be one of the best coaches in the league, and I think he's got an incredibly bright future. Um you look at the job he's done with the Jazz, the way he, I mean, just look at Lowry marketing. I mean, you know, I was always kind of down on Lowry throughout his career because he had disappointed in Chicago for different reasons. He goes to Cleveland. He plays pretty well with the Cavs, but didn't look anything like, you know, a guy who could have easily made a second all-star team in a row on Thursday. And, you know, Will gets him in Utah, goes, watches him in, play in the European championships, sees the way Lowry's playing with Finland and goes, we can replicate this with the jazz and then does it right. There's just not, there's not a lot of coaches who would have gotten this out of Lowry marketing and turned him into what he's become over the past couple of years. Lowry deserves a ton of credit for the way he's played, but it takes a, a coach to look at the environment that he's in over there and find a way to replicate it here and showcase what he can do. That, that's not an easy thing to do. And I, I think you look at the way Will connects with these guys, the way he has empowered them, the way the Jazz are again overachieving. This is not a, a roster that should be in the neighborhood of 500, I don't think. Um, you know, he's gotten, you know, really good play out of Colin Sexton, a guy who's bounced around and struggled a little bit at times. Um, you know, it, it's, it's just a really impressive job that he's doing. And, you know, he's obviously – Still a young coach who hasn't, you know, he's only been, what, 125 games. He's been a head coach, 430 games. So he's still got plenty to learn. He'd be the first one to tell you that. But I think the Jazz have certainly shown to have a keeper. And, you know, as they try to put together, you know, like he said, like I referenced earlier this week, you know, they're trying to put together a championship foundation with the Jazz. I think they've got a guy who can be a championship level coach, which is a pretty good place to start. 
what were your expectations heading into this year? Because I do agree that this being a 500 team, especially with how it started, it certainly didn't look like a 500 team heading into this year. Look at last year, they had Mike Conley and that covers for so much. Not having him heading into this season certainly impacted the way that I thought about this team. I thought they would not be any good because they weren't any good last year after they traded Mike Conley. And I I thought that was still going to be something that would be a significant problem, right? Because like you said, Mike Conley, you know, if they had just, if Mike Conley had been in the Rudy Gobert trade, which said at the time could have argued that he should have been based off the price that the Timberwolves gave up. I thought it was impressive that Jazz hung on to him and kept him out of that deal and then got more stuff for him later. Um, I think the Jazz would have been one of the worst teams in the league last year, and they would have been bad all season. But having Mike there had them in the playoff mix until the deadline when they moved him, and then things went rapidly off a cliff after that. Now, you could also say the Jazz were sort of conveniently setting themselves up to make sure that they got as good of a pick as they could, but a big part of that was Mike just wasn't on the team anymore. And so, like you said, to be able to have the success they've had without Mike and with you know, a, a sort of a, a ragtag collection of guys that are sort of mismatched pieces, not bad players, but, you know, playing John Collins at center, getting the best play of Collins Sexton's career out of him, getting the best play of Chris Dunn's career out of him. Like Will's done a great job putting Chris in a position to, you know, really look like a guy who should be in a rotation going forward when who's a guy who had been basically out of the league before. Um, you know, the, the, they've done, the Jazz have done a nice job showcasing a bunch of guys. Again, it's all on smaller versions of the Lowry scale, but putting guys in the right positions to succeed. Another terrific year from Lowry, didn't make the all-star team, but certainly is a guy who I thought was deserving. You know, there's probably 16, 17 guys that really deserved it in the West. So uh, I wasn't surprised that he didn't make it, but certainly deserving of making it. And, you know, that's allowed Utah to hang around in the mix. And I think, you know, once once we get through the trade deadline and see where everything settles, um, I think Utah is a team that will benefit from getting on the other side of that too and knowing that everybody's there and going to be with the team um, moving forward and that they could just focus on playing the final 25 or 30 games of the season. I think that will be a big benefit to the Jazz, too. I'm not entirely upset about Lowry not making the All-Star team because you are right how many people are deserving of that honor in the Western Conference. It's very deep at the position, and he would have to steal one of those spots. But going from skeptic of Lowry to where he is now, what's impressed you as he's been able to replicate his all-star numbers where if you squint, he's a 50-40-90 guy. It's not exactly right there, but if if you're looking at it a little bit, he's at those numbers which are of the elite of the elite. I mean, the fact that he's doing it again, like it, it's, it, it's showing it wasn't a flash in the pan last year, right? I mean, there's a lot of guys who've had one really great season and have just settled in as being a nice player, but the fact that he's doing more or less what he did last year again, it's a sign that He's really made massive strides forward as a player and, you know, as a guy that you can look at if you want as a a foundational piece of a really good team, which 
again, up until the start of last season, there wasn't a person in the league who was saying that about Larry Marketing. Again, even after the year in Cleveland, he was seen as a nice piece there. But, I mean, nobody was thinking he was going to be averaging 25 a game on percentages like he is and shooting on the move the way he is and defending at the rim the way he is, which is the really interesting uh, thing to watch with Tim going forward. Um, because if he can hold up as a small ball five or not small ball, but as a, you know, a guy who can be a spacing scoring five, it, it could be, you know, that's the kind of thing where you can really have a game changing situation with a guy like that playing at center who can just turbocharge your offense. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's been to me, the impressive thing is that you could have written off last year. As, oh, well, you know, he had his career year and he'll settle in as being a nice player again. And to come back and do it again when everybody is game planning for him and paying attention to him, it's it's a sign of, of real impressive improvement. And, you know, he's clearly established himself as, you know, one of the one of the top players in the league, which is a act of an accomplishment and, and full credit to him for doing it. tell you about First Colony Mortgage. They've been serving the lending needs of Utah for more than 35 years. As a mortgage banker, First Colony Mortgage offers advantages over other lenders. Not only do they process mortgages, they also underwrite, fund, and close mortgage loans all in-house. Their expert team is ready to help you with your home financing needs. Just check them out. First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz. Colin Sexton, I don't know if you expected this from him at any point. I did not. I I think him certainly getting health has helped him out because 50 games in a row, I don't think he's done that since his second year in the league. Mm -hmm. What have you seen in his evolution that's really helped the Jazz? Him playing under control and in pace is something that has certainly impressed me. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, to your point, He's been more of a point guard this year. Not that he is, he isn't really a point guard, but he's been more in control on the court. Like he's always been a guy who could go get his own shot and score and and plays with obviously a ton of energy all the time. But he's been more under control this year and has done more of the things that you want to see from a guy who's going to have the ball in his hands like he is as or as much as he is and is going to be directed traffic as much as he is. Um, you know, I think in an ideal world, he's still probably a sixth man and he's coming in off the bench for you and really filling it up and handling the ball some um, as opposed to being your lead guard. But, you know, look, he, he has done a really nice job. And again, he's another guy that, you know, I think well deserves credit for putting him in the right positions to, you know, really accentuate the things that he's good at. And, you know, it's, it's been a nice story. You're right. He has the last couple of years, he has been banged up. It's been nice to see him healthy and playing well. And, you know, he's still a young guy too. I mean, he's in his 
sixth year in the league, so it's easy to forget. But I mean, he he just turned twenty five a month ago, right? Like he's got a long, um, he's still got a long career ahead of him, even though he's already a fully established vet. And I think he's showing there could be some some upside still on tap with him. Looking at the teams that the Jazz have played over the last couple and teams you're very familiar with, Tyrese Maxey goes for 50 last night, and he looks fully deserving of his first All-Star appearance. What does Philly need to do at the deadline? Do they need to do anything to jump into that Boston class, which is clearly the top of the Eastern Conference? They need to do some stuff to improve the roster. I mean, Tyrese is clearly a true star, and they obviously need Joel Embiid to get healthy. Um, but they need to get better. I mean, they they after their top five, there's a lot of holes in their rotation. Um, you know, guys like Patrick Beverly, Marcus Morris, Robert Covington, uh, all in expiring contracts, all veteran players, all really not ideal rotation options in playoff series. And they probably all would be a rotation options right now in a playoff series. So um, they need to add some depth. I, I think they're going to be aggressive over the next week. We'll find out exactly how bad Joel's injury is. But, um, you know, I, I expect them to try to make this team better. Darren Morey's always super aggressive in season. I don't really expect that to be any different this time around. Um, but they're, you know, if, if Joel can come back and be healthy, for the playoffs, which again, we will find out with him and Tyrese Maxey, you got to punch a chance in a series because those guys are game changing players. I mean, again, you saw Tyrese's second 50 point game of the season Thursday night. It was a heck of a game really need, you know, Philly really needed that game after what's been a truly disastrous oh, yeah. week for them losing four in a row, having Joel get hurt, you know, being on the road. I mean, it was just a, about as bad of a road trip as you could possibly have. And to cap that off with that game, coming back from a sprained ankle with his team really needing it. Just sign up the kind of guy and player Max he is. And, you know, certainly Sixers have finally, after years of trying, found their true co-star or Joel going forward. And now it's a matter of can they find some more help for those guys to give them a chance to have a deep postseason run this spring. Again, assuming that by this time next week we have a sense that Joel Embiid will be back at some point um, this season, which as a neutral observer, I just hope we get to see because he's having an unbelievable year and it would be fun to see him have a chance to be in the playoffs and play at the highest level because that's what you want to see is the best players on the biggest stage having a chance to compete for stuff. It definitely felt like they needed that when 90 minutes before they got the Embiid news that he was going to be at out for at least the weekend before they find out that treatment plan. It was gut yep. punch after gut punch over the way that they played before tip off of Jazz Sixers. Yeah, it was the fifth game of a five game road trip. They'd lost the prior four. Max had been hurt the prior three. They had everything that went on in Denver. Then Joel getting hurt on Tuesday. They'd lost to Portland on Monday. I mean it it was as bad a trip as anybody's had in the league this season. So to cap it off with a win the way they did winning in a really tough environment against a motivated team that has been at its own struggles lately in Utah, wanting to snap out of those, having Tyrese come back and play the way he did, closing the game up down the stretch. You're right. It was 
a very important game for them, one they really needed. And, you know, Tyree stepped up and delivered in a huge way on the night he made his first All-Star team. Can you explain how good Embiid has been this year? Because Jazz fans, I'm sure, aren't necessarily keeping up with the Eastern Conference as much as they are in the West. But not being able to see him Thursday, what is he doing this year that is so impressive? He's been as good on a nearly nightly basis as he was against the Jazz in Philadelphia last year. Yeah. Like the fourth quarter of... Sixers Jazz last year might have been the best quarter I've ever seen anybody play from Joel Embiid. And he's been doing stuff like that all the time. Like it, it's been pretty remarkable to watch. Obviously, he was at the game when he scored 70 against the Spurs a week and a half ago in Philly. Um, and it's just, it's as somebody who's seen a lot of his career up close, it's just remarkable to see you know, the development that he's gone through. You go back to 2019, he's playing against the, the Raptors and Marcus All, who just retired this week and is going to be going into the Hall of Fame soon. Um, you know, you watch you watch him play against Mark in that series, and Mark shut him down offensively. And Joel made a huge impact. He still had a crazy plus minus, but he Mark really got it in his head and messed him up. And you look at the offensive player he's become. He's really Kevin Durant plus 100 pounds at this point. I mean, he's an automatic jump shooter. He's catching the ball at the elbow, facing up to the basket like Paul Pierce, frankly, like going into the Paul Pierce-like elbow package. He can get to the rim and score, can step back to three-point range. Is obviously a tremendous post player. Is still a hugely impactful defensive player. Um, you know, when he, when he is locked in, and motivated and playing well. I think he's the best and most dominant player in the league. And he gets, obviously gets injured and that doesn't, that sort of level of play doesn't show up on the same nightly basis that it does for Nikola Jokic and some of these other guys who have been more durable and been on the court more. And, you know, look, Joel is also, He'll be the first to say that he has not had a healthy playoff run, nor has he had the kind of playoff run that Jokic had last year, or Giannis had in 2021, or Steph has had a bunch of times, right? Um, but he has, he is just an unbelievable physical force. And it's been something else to watch the guy play this year, a guy who's scoring more points than minutes played so far this year, something that hasn't been has been done one time ever in the history of the league. The year Will Chamberlain averaged 50 points a game and 48 minutes a game in 1962-63. So, like, that's the kind of scoring pace he's been on and the way he's been playing. And like I said, I just hope that, as a, again, as a neutral, I hope that Joel is able to come back in a few weeks or whenever – some point before the end of the regular season and we get to see him healthy going into the playoffs because it would be I just would like to see him have a, a full run at it healthy and see what he can do and see what the Sixers team can do and you know hopefully he gets some good news and is able to but either way it's been a heck of a season to watch so far and hopefully we haven't seen the last of it. Jazz saw Jalen Brunson in the Knicks, even though it was the Dante DiVincenzo game. But last, <laughs> yes, it was. 
Last night, Brunson had his emotional moment with Alan Hahn after the game on MSG. What was the feeling inside the garden and around the city about how he's played and earning his all-star bid? I mean, there's there's never been... The, the thing that's always been true about the garden is that... Um, New York City is obviously a very glitzy place. And I live here. I live two miles from the garden. Walked there to the game yesterday. And obviously, you think of New York City, you think of Times Square, and you think of glitz and glamour and stars, right? There's always stars at MSG for these games. And that those are the things you think of. But the things that have always been what New Yorkers have been drawn to with the Knicks is lunch pail work ethic like guys who show up and play no matter what and play hard and are committed to the team and playing team basketball you know like obviously the Knicks have not had you know only won three championships two championships ever two in the 70s so like everybody still reveres the Bill Bradley Walt Frazier Roman Rowe Dave DeBusher um, Willis Reed, Knicks, right, for being this fully committed to the team, playing together, playing hard, playing the right way, et cetera, group. And the 90s Knicks are held in similar regard, even though they weren't the most talented team with Patrick Patrick Ewing and Charles Oakley and John Starks and, you know, then the Allen Houston, Latrell Sprewell teams, Larry Johnson, like, those teams were all rugged, physical teams that showed up every day and played really hard. And the people here always really connected with that. And this year's Knicks are the, uh, I've been calling them the ultimate try-hard team, which sounds like an insult, but what it really is is that, you know, I thought Will, Will was talking about Isaiah Hardenstein on Tuesday and said that he is relentless in the way he plays. And he is right about Isaiah, but it really applies to the whole team. And that when the Knicks show up to work, they're going to play extraordinarily hard every single game. And they might not hit shots. They might not play well. But there's never going to be a game where they're not, they're going to get out-competed. Or they're going to get outworked. Like, they're going to play extraordinarily hard. Last night, Precious Chua, Isaiah Hardenstein, and Josh Hart out-rebounded the Pacers by themselves. Like, that sums up the way the Knicks are playing. And Jalen Brunson is the ultimate epitome of that. Because the other thing about New York and about New Yorkers is that people here love underdog stories. It's their favorite, everybody's favorite thing here. Seeing a guy overachieve from what he was supposed to be. And Jalen Brunson is the storybook definition of that guy who you know was sort of an afterthought going to Villanova won two championships there then was drafted in the second round after multiple guys off his own team plays for Dallas Rick Carlisle who was coaching here last night for Indiana benches him for Trey Burke former jazz guard in uh, the playoffs his second year in the league or his third year in the league I should say comes back the next year Helps the Jazz, helps the Mavs get to the conference finals. And then Dallas, after multiple opportunities, as our boy McMahon has said repeatedly, multiple opportunities to sign him to what would have been incredible contracts, didn't do so. 
let him go to the Knicks as a free agent could end up being, I mean, already has been one of the best free agent signings in recent memory, could go down as one of the best in ever, maybe, the way things are going. Um, And then even then, becoming a guy who could have made the All-Star team last year, then should have been a starter this year. Now, right, now makes the All-Star team yesterday, has 40, leads them back in a crazy comeback win with four, four rotation players out, and is a guy who is an all-NBA guy this year now. Like, it's it's just an unbelievable transformation year over year to see. And the other thing about it, too, is Tom Thibodeau has known Jalen since he was two because he's Rick Brunson has a former player, and now he's been on his staff for a long time. And talking to Tom after the game last night, like, the whole organization, everybody here, just thinks this guy is the greatest guy. And he, he carries himself in a very unassuming way. He's a tremendous teammate, plays extraordinarily hard, maximizes every ounce of talent he could get out of his body. Um, and it's, you know, right now, it's a pretty, it's a pretty fun place to watch a game at the moment because Nick fans are in love with this team. They're playing out of their minds, as you guys saw on Tuesday. You know, again, like Jazz hung in that game. Both teams second night of back-to-back. Knicks had a few guys out a couple minutes into the third quarter. It's a couple-point game, and then you turn around, it's a 25-point game. And, you know, that's sort of been what they've been doing a lot lately. And I still think they're a piece or two away from being a truly championship-level team. But they've done a great job sort of doing what the Jazz are – trying to do and methodically building this thing up towards being that kind of team. And, you know, it's, it's led to some really fun basketball here and it's, you know, it's, it's made the garden about as fun a place to be in the league right now to watch them play. It looked like a crazy atmosphere on, on Tuesday when the jazz played there final one, because uh, they'll be taking on one of your former colleagues, doc rivers on Sunday the Milwaukee Bucks, as you look at what he has ahead of him, it's something that I tracked only because their swoon was also coinciding with the Jazz's turnaround. Like since December 22nd, it was 11 and 9. The seeds were way earlier that things weren't going well, but what does Doc have to do to turn this ship liner in the right direction for the Bucks? I mean, it's a difficult question to answer because a lot, uh, like there's a lot of things that Adrian Griffin was not doing super well, which is why nobody in the league was truly stunned when they made a change. Um, At the same time, as I've been saying since October, this team has fundamental roster flaws that are just going to be very difficult for any coach to overcome. And you saw it in the loss to Portland on Wednesday. They don't have good point of attack defense on the perimeter. Chris Middleton has lost a step defensively from an athleticism standpoint. Damian Lillard's never been a strong defensive player. Malik Beasley is not a good defensive player. Those guys are playing huge minutes for them. Like, you're just not going to be able to do certain things or many things defensively when those three guys are key parts of your defensive situation. Like, there's just no real way around that. 
And then Doc Rivers is now not playing Marjan Beauchamp, who's an athletic young wing. He's not playing Andre Jackson, who's an athletic young wing. So um I don't I don't know really what you can do about some of that stuff. Now, Doc, I think, is gonna fix some low hanging fruit. He has talked about stuff like, for example, getting Damon Giannis in when Milwaukee's in the bonus, trying to take advantage of them getting the line and being fouled drawing machines, right? And I I think he might be able to get some more synergy on some some pick and rolls and things that they've wanted to do. And I do think Doc's a really good coach. I think they'll be more organized. I I think they will settle themselves some. But at the end of the day, I didn't like the trade from the beginning, the Drew Holiday for Dame trade, because I thought they basically exhausted all of their assets to make a slight upgrade in talent. But I didn't like the fit. And I thought it was going to really hurt their ability to play defensively at the highest level in the playoffs. And maybe Dame and Giannis will just be able to overwhelm teams with talent in the playoffs and they'll be able to win, which they might, because those guys are awesome. And Giannis is one of the five best players on the planet, might be the best player. And if you've got one of those guys, you have a chance no matter what. Um, But let's go back to your original question. I do think Doc is a good coach. I do think he will help, but he can't change the roster construction of the team. And they have some real true flaws in their makeup from a build standpoint that it's just going to be difficult to overcome. And it it will be truly interesting to see how that goes over the next two months and over the next week, frankly. And if they can make a move to... um, improve this roster between now and the deadline because if they could find some perimeter defense and athleticism anywhere with the limited assets they have it would certainly be a significant thing for them if they can do that he is our liaison for the hoop collective tim bontemps writer for espn thank you so much for taking the time thanks for making fun mcmahon and thanks for having me i appreciate it Lay zone, and I think I'm pronouncing that word correctly.